Welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast. Today, Deputy Chief Al Pratt's North Hudson Fire and Rescue out of New Jersey. I'm a New Jersey guy. I find a lot of interesting characters to talk to because, well, frankly, New Jersey puts out a lot of characters. Chief, thanks for joining me today. Appreciate you being on the show. Man, it is my pleasure, and and you are absolutely right. Uh, We are not (laughs) short of any characters (laughs) in new jersey and i think northern new jersey especially right has its own uh personality chief i'll tell you i think that's why i i'm having the fun i'm having with this show it's because i find the most interesting guys and i'm like man i want to talk to this guy and when you have a podcast you get to write the rules and so i get to talk to anyone i want right if you're if somebody's willing to give me an hour of their time i want to hear their story so for you thank you i know how busy you are with your pedigree and and all your experience behind you and what you do. Um, I know you're a busy guy, so I do appreciate some time with you today. And frankly, looking forward to getting to know you because you and I really have not met before other than through text uh, and, and quick conversation. So uh, looking forward to today, man. Same here, man. Looking forward to it. Super excited, and thank you. So let's break this down. Uh, into the career fire service in 2004, you rose up through the ranks, scoring well on all your promotional tests. And that's an important part of the conversation uh, because of what you have done um, since is uh, being a part of the promotional prep crew, which we're going to get into that, which uh, offers tutoring and, and consultation for guys looking to promote and do well on tests. So we're going to hop into all that. Um, but I want to talk about your career and I really want to st- talk about your beginnings and um you know you were saying off camera before we started that fire service wasn't your first choice man so give me a little background about uh, where you come from and how you got here yeah man um it's 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 interesting i i listen to so many firefighters out there that that you know i love to listen to and i respect and they talk about um you know how they were young they were chasing fire trucks um their dad was on the job or a volunteer and you know, they were, they were, you know, going to calls with their parents or, you know, their parents would, would you know, sure. come home, smelling like smoke and this, and that, and the other. And, and I always wondered what, what that was like. And, and it, it fascinates me. Um, but my story, it, it's, it's something where uh, I believe that the fire service really chose me because it was something that was not in my, in my plans. Not only was it not in my plans, but when it was brought to my attention that this was an option, I was like, oh, no. Why do I, why would I want to do that? Right. I was going to school for criminal justice and I wanted to be a cop. Um, I have a military background, former Marine. My plan was to be a federal law enforcement officer, uh, possibly going to ATF or U.S. Marshals or something like that. And that's kind of like the way I saw my future shaping up. And that's, that's really what I wanted. Um, I, I really didn't have a concept at the time when I was in college of the civil service. I didn't know how that worked. Yeah. No, no one could tell me, you know what, if you want to be a cop, this is the route. You take the civil service test. It comes out every three years and go to these classes. I had no idea of any of that. I thought if you went to college for criminal justice, you're going to become a cop. That's right. right. I, I didn't have I didn't have an idea. So um, I ended up as a uh, waking up every single day and going to jail. And what I mean by that, I was a juvenile detention officer in Morris County. Um, and so that was my first taste of, of law enforcement, uh, so to speak. And while I was doing that, I was, as law enforcement tests came up, I would take those tests and, you know, all I wanted to do was become a cop. I'm like, I got to get out of jail 
and be a cop on the street, right? Because no one likes working in, yeah. in, a, in a prison, okay? Especially with a juvenile population. It, it is, believe it or not, it's a lot easier to work with an adult population than it is with the juveniles. Um, and, you know, juveniles just, they can't see past tomorrow, can't see past today. That's Everybody's a gangbanger. Yeah. Everybody's a wannabe. So, um, so there was no, yeah, so it, it was, it was definitely interesting, but a lot of good experience. Um, and I, I would take the law enforcement test and I wouldn't, I wasn't really taking any classes or anything like that. And I was scoring just okay. Like not well enough to get out of corrections and get a, you know, obtain a municipal job as a cop on the street. And my wife calls me one day and she says, babe, the flight department test is coming up. You should take the test. So her, her, um, her aunt was married to a retired uh, deputy chief from, from Passaic. And, you know, he called her up. He says, oh, he's got to take, he's got to take the test. And so when she told me about that, I'm like, what? I'm not taking a test. I'm, I want to be a cop. And so he says, you know what? Take the test. If you do well and become a cop, if you really want to, you can always change over. They say, you know what? It makes sense. I'd rather go become a fireman and start, you know, into the pension system. And then yeah. later on, if I do well enough, I'll switch over. Sure. But knowing now, you know, knowing what I know now, that doesn't happen. It happens the other way around, uh, but it doesn't happen where, where once you become, get a taste of a fire service, you don't, you don't switch back. But <laughs> you, know that you, don't leave. you don't leave. Something should be said though, right? Like for people that don't know, a lot of parts of the country, it's not difficult to get a fire job, a career job. In Metro New York area where we are, I mean, literally the cities that you work in, North Hudson Regional is made up of five different cities, right? And where you guys work, you literally look at New York City skyline every day because you're right across the river from New York City, right? So, like, it is an absolute job that is in demand. People want this job. The civil service process here is cumbersome. We're going to get into that as we as we go on. But for you to to not understand the process, it makes sense because the process is not super clear. And the competition, you could have, you know, for that police job you were talking about to get out of juvenile and get a, a, a municipal police job, you could have three openings and 400 candidates. I mean, that's how in demand these jobs were. And then the fire test on civil service side, you know, uh, North Hudson maybe is hiring a class of 20 or something or even 10, right? You're not doing massive classes. And you have thousands of people lined up on this list. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it, it was something that unless you have someone guiding you through the process. Yes. Um, or unless you, you, you just looked into it on your own and realized early on that this was the process you don't really realize how stiff the competition is you know and then if you don't if you know how stiff the competition is then you don't take it for granted you know and and that's kind of i don't want to say i took it for granted i just didn't know what i was getting myself into right when it came right. to testing you know because otherwise i would have spent whatever money i needed to spend right to take a class or you know get a better understanding so i could do better on the exams you know but it it, it was funny because uh, so I was interviewing through the prosecutor's office and, and still, even while, while I was preparing to take the fire department exam, my mind was still law enforcement, law enforcement. In fact, two days prior to being sworn into North Hudson Regional, I, I, I took the police test. So I, I already got the job. Yeah. And two days prior to, to being sworn in, I took the police test. And and it wasn't until later on where I actually 
ended up number three on Union City Police Department's civil service list, and they were hiring about maybe 10 or 15 guys. And but by the time that that list came out, I was on the line already. I was, yeah, you know, I, I was out of the academy. I was working, and and so and and it, there wasn't even a thought in my mind. But it's it's interesting that I realize now the difference between the the two different exams was, in my opinion, is that law enforcement officers operate by themselves mm-hmm. most of the time, whereas in the fire service you don't do anything by yourself. Everything is a team effort, including, you know, who's going to shop for the day, who's going to cook, and how we're going to divide up house maintenance. Every single thing that we do in the fire service is team-oriented. So I believe that the reason why I did better right off the bat on my very first fire department exam was because I had that team mentality. So I was, I feel like I was more suited for that type of job, and they just picked me. Was you that know, from and, your military background, being part of the yeah, Marines? I, be, yeah. I don't know. I don't. It could be, but again, um, I, I would have assumed that that would have helped me on the law enforcement exam. Mm. But there are certain things that kind of translate, like when it comes to ethics, when it comes to leadership, when it comes to motivation, and those sort of personality traits. Uh, they they kind of uh, you know coincide between fire and, and police. It's the same thing. Well, the teamwork aspect of the questions that are being asked of you, because the personality testing portion of the entry level exam is a huge indicator of how well you're going to do, you know, outside of whether or not they're going to be hiring a bunch of military veterans, which, you know, go right to the top of the list. You have to overcome that as well. But still, there, there, there are some similarities, but the big difference is going to be that teamwork aspect, whether or not you can make decisions on your own or whether or not most of your decisions are going to be decisions that you make by yourself, or if you're going to rely on a team element to make that, to make that move or make that decision. What is it for you in the team environment? Like what does that fuel you? Are you a, I mean, you're a deputy chief of the special operations command and we're going to, we're going to talk about all that. And that's super disciplined, super focused and narrow, right. In your approach. So do you find that you, you thrive in the team environment, but you're a standout though. Like, there, even in the team environment, we have team captains, right? You think about, like, football. You think about sports, right? There's always those leaders, right? The, the defensive lead, the offensive lead, right? And so on. So it's kind of interesting because I see you, you know, as a Marine, as a former, you know, law enforcement, you would think that you would be more to that approach than the team approach. I, I firmly believe with all my heart that, if you're going to be a successful leader, you have to put the team first. I love it. And, and so I, I, I think that when you do that and you make it about the team, when you make it about the mission and the team versus yourself, I believe that, you know, the cream is going to rise and you're naturally going to rise as a leader. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make mistakes and there's going to be some bumps in the road. Um, you know, you have to eat a, a slice of humble pie every now and then, and that's fine. But you have to be willing to um, accept that challenge. And put the men and women first. And if you do that, um, without even thinking about whether or not you're leading, naturally, you're going to lead. And, and, and more importantly, the troops are going to look at you as such. They know. They know. I, you can make believe that you're this, that, and you can say that you're an expert in leadership. You, you can't fool, especially in the firehouse, on the fire, around the firehouse kitchen. They know who's who and what's what. Chief, I love this. The, the, this is the thing. Like, if you have to know – if you know that you're a – 
If you have to tell yourself that you're the leader, you're not the leader. Like Uh-oh. leaders lead, leaders lead because it's natural for them. They don't lead because it it's something they're working at to, you know, make sure everybody's aware of it, right? The the true leaders are the ones that literally are in the background and putting everybody else forward and and capitalizing on the strengths and focusing on the weakness of those that can come up to those strengths for the better good. And like there's so many chest pounding guys that want to talk about leadership. There's guys that sit around the firehouse. There's guys that speak nationally. All they do is talk about leadership. Are you a leader at home? Like, do you, do you lead, you know? And I think that's a big conversation, right? I agree. I agree hundred percent, you know, and we just, we just put on a, uh, a recruit class of 23 uh, new firefighters and uh, they started the Academy today today's uh no yesterday uh, monday day one um and i i kind of go up to this thing that frank viscuso and mike turpak wrote um in their operational guide book that they wrote a while back ago and there's 25 things that a probationary firefighter should know um and since then i know uh, frank viscuso has has updated and changed it but i use those 25 tips to um you know to kind of indicate um the new firefighters prior to them going to the academy right and it's my version of re- reading them the riot act and let, letting them know how they're supposed to be acting. Um, and one of the one of the things is 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 leading. And even at that level, as a probationary firefighter, a firefighter that or probably that knows absolutely nothing, you can still lead by leading 100%. by example. And you know, I've seen I've seen probies come into the firehouse, and and what happens? The other firefighters in that house they start stepping up their game. Because now they want to show the new firefighter what they know, which is great. It makes us better on the job. Um, everybody starts stepping up their level of training. Um, everybody wants to be a role model, and it's and it's excellent. But sometimes that senior firefighter doesn't want to be, well, you know, overshadowed by that either a probie or a rookie or you know one year guy, two year guy. It doesn't matter. So um, everyone within their own right, like stay in your lane. But everybody within their own right can absolutely, absolutely lead. I love yeah. watching yeah. I love watching insecure senior men and not even senior men insecure guys in the firehouse get threatened when somebody new comes in and they know they know something maybe a little bit more than they do and instead of embracing that and being like yo Joe show me what you know man I never I didn't know that right they feel threatened by it so what they do is they shut that guy down and and that is where we we miss that is where we don't get growth and that's where we don't grow as the team is when we're shutting people down, dismissing people because we're threatened by them. And we have a lot of insecurity today, Chief. We have a lot of leaders, quote unquote, that are very insecure in their own abilities. And so they're certainly not going to promote those around them. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's funny. Um, it reminds me of when, so when I took my captain's exam, we don't have in North Hudson, we don't have a it. But captain, battalion, dep- uh, captain, battalion, deputy chief. When I took my first captain's exam, I just made the cut by 10 days. So you have to have three years on the job prior to taking your promotional exam. Um, I had three years just by 10 days. So I barely had enough seniority to to take this exam. And I signed up for it. I registered for the test and, and, you know, I I was studying, I was reading and I, and I would sit down in the firehouse kitchen for hours, um, at that time, I had barely three years on the job, but I was the rookie in that house. So I would go to bed after everyone went to bed. I would stay up 
mop the floors, make sure the dishes were put away, make sure the house is secure. And then I would sit down in the firehouse kitchen and just open up the books and start studying. But one day a, a firefighter walks past and it wasn't one of our guys. They think he was on overtime or on, on the mutual. And he walks past and he stops and looks at me. He goes, what are you doing? I said, I'm, I'm reading. I'm, you know, he goes, you taking the test? I said, yeah. He goes, he goes, learn how to be a fireman first. You have two days on the job. Like, gave me one of those things. And I, and, and I kind of just said, yeah, yeah, I, I know. He says, look, you're not going to overcome the seniority point. There's no way. Um, you don't have enough seniority. Um, but, you know, but good luck. Now, you tell me I can't do something, right? Sure. I'm going to show you I can do it, right? But that sure. was that was my first, probably one of my first experiences on, on, the, on the job in the fire service of someone having, to me, it felt like an insecurity because he was worried about what, what I was going to do. You know what? Worry about yourself. Why don't you go in, back into the dorm and study, hit the books? Because I felt like when I was studying, it wasn't just helping me for a promotional exam. I felt like it was helping me for the job. Chief, no, it's making you better, smarter, absolutely. wiser. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, listen, I had a, a my first my pro year I had a very um, aggressive, old school, salty captain. Um, and that first year in the job, I was working squad ten in West New York. We we were catching work. We were going to fires. Um, and he would take every opportunity to show me the ropes and show me, you know, what was what. We would stay later at fires or or even an alarm activation, something that's not as sexy as a fire. You know, told me how to shake the building down, what to look for, pulling the gooseneck, checking this, checking that, right? So I, I learned a lot. But when I left, um, I was detailed to another captain that was, you know, on his way out, maybe not as aggressive. So I had to supplement my education by by reading these books. And and I felt like it made me better. I had a better understanding of building construction, fire behavior, um, you know, and so it, it made me better at my job. And so I knew that if I was going to take this promotional exam, then I better know what the hell I'm talking about, right? I yes. better know, I have an understanding because it is going to be my responsibility. So, you know, fortunately, I, I scored well enough to, to, to get hot, uh, promoted on my first um, captain's exam on the first round. And I mean, there were guys on the job that were like, who the hell is Pratt? So, I mean, there was firefighters I hadn't even met yet on the job, Yeah, you know? And so I, I had a lot to prove. And my first two firefighters that were assigned to me, and I always say, it's funny, it wasn't like they were assigned to me. If I felt like I was assigned to them. Uh, Anthony Villa was my deputy at the time, and he made sure that I was in the house with two very senior, seasoned yeah. guys that right. weren't going to let me get away with shit. And so, listen, as a new company officer, one of my first conversations was, listen, you guys have been on the job longer than me. I don't know more than you because I'm a captain. I just scored well on the, on the promotional exam. I'm going to lean on you guys to help me through this process. And we're going to go out and we're going to train and we're going to work. Right. And, and we did. And it worked out. Right. And so you have to be humble enough to realize, you know what, you're in charge. It doesn't mean you're a leader. Right. Being in charge doesn't mean it's not the same, not the same thing. Uh, but you have to kind of step up your game if you put in that position and you have to be willing to accept the responsibility and be willing to put in the extra work. Humble is the word. Right? Humility yes, matters. Accountability matters. These are traits that we need more of. And to be put on as a captain early on in a career, you got to have that or you're not going to make it. You're not going to cut it. No, you're not. And, and the guys are going to let you know. Oh, you know, you hit it, man. If, That's I was looking for that. You hit it, bro. That's and if, it. And if you have, and if you have uh, thin skin, it's gonna get to you. Um, but you know, if if you have humility and and you 
you put the team first, like I said before, um, and, and you know that you're there for a reason and you understand what your role is, right? Then it's going to make everything else easier. You can't control what other people are going to think about you. You can't control what perception people, oh, this guy's, you know, three years on the job. Well, so I was in my fifth year when I became a captain. So by the time the list came out, I was in my fifth year. So you can't control what people are going to think about you, what opinions they're going to have. You can only control what you do, right, about it, what you do for yourself and what reputation you're going to establish for yourself. Because it's, in my opinion, it's hard to develop a good relation, a good reputation. It's a lot easier to develop a bad reputation. So you got to put the work in. Put the work in is right. Every window has to be clean. The trim's got to be pulled. Your company's got to be put together. You got to be in the right spot when you need to be there. And you need to make sure it's happening every single time. I's dotted, T's crossed. If you have a target on you, you better get out there and prove it times 10. You have to. But that comes to the individual. And, you know, it takes, like you said, it takes work. It takes work. You got to be willing to put that work in. So that's pretty cool. And I know you were in some busy companies, right? So squad company, right? And then uh, you moved up. I think you were, um, what, you were in Tower 3, right? All busy yep. companies. And back then in your early days, I mean, North Hudson was having fires. I remember a little background, right? Chief North Hudson Regional was one of the first regionalized departments that took five independent fire departments in five little cities and put them together under one roof. And there was, a, I believe there were a tremendous amount of growing pains. Um, but, you know, you only know what you know. And, you know, here we are 24 years later since that consolidation. And I have to think it's pretty seamless now, no? Yeah, I'd say so. And, and when yeah. you say five little cities, the population... Oh, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, yeah. Like, thank you. I'm just wondering, for those that yes. don't know, I mean, it is geographically, you know, you look at the map and, and those five cities together geographically would be somewhat smaller than Jersey City. Yes. But population-wise, we have three of the most Boston. densely populated cities in the country. Uh, we have the second hilliest, uh, North Bergen would be the second hilliest uh, city you know, outside of San Francisco in the country. Um, you know, we have the, the Holland Tunnel. We have the Weehawken Ferry System. Um, you know, we have every single type of building construction that you could think of, uh, residential, industrial sections, uh, the railroad, Amtrak, light rail. You and some of the best it's exploded. ethnic food you could find oh, anywhere in the country. Let me tell you something. <laughs> there is, you, you will not go you, hungry. In North you Park. guys eat well. Yeah. We do. You just drive up and down Burger Line Avenue, which is probably the longest stretch of restaurants and businesses right. in, in one localized area than, than I could think of. Um, and, and you'll find a little bit of everything. It's like, it's like what is it? Epcot Center, right? It has the, has yeah, the, Epcot, uh, right? Epcot Disney, right? Yeah. It has all yep. the nations, right? And that's, yep. that's yep. sort of like what, what it feels like in, in a sense. Um, you know, maybe not as safe, but... Uh, yeah, but as far as, you know, having your choice of restaurants and that sort of thing, and, and you'll, you'll see it. I mean, it's changed over time, um, you know, as different ethnic ethnicities come in, uh, the restaurants start changing. But um, there is, uh, yeah, no, there, there are definitely plenty of restaurants. Uh, you know, next time you're in that area, look me up, man. I'll definitely take you to a couple of different places. I, my buddy always brings home these Peruvian chickens that are just like to, oh. with this super hot sauce. It's just out of control. When you say that, my wife, my wife's family, uh, they, my wife's from a, a Peruvian background, 
Okay. And, um, and the very first time I had that rotisserie chicken with the, yeah. um, it's like a special hot sauce that, you know, that hot sauce will country. kick your ass. <laughs> yeah. It's like crack though. I mean, yeah. just, oh, it is. You can't get rid of it. it it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's delicious. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. But that, that then speaks to the job there too, because it is quite diverse and you're mm-hmm. talking single family to high rises. The infrastructure is abound. And so how did you find your way to the sock? Um, how'd you find your way to the, to the sock division? Like, you know, special operations command. So, um, usually, uh, in, in North Hudson, when, when you get assigned to one of the sock companies, um, and you're selected to start taking the, the UASI, um, you know, USAR uh, Metro urban strike team, um, collapse classes and, and so on and so forth. Um, you have to have a certain number of years on, you know, three years, four years is going to be the min- usually the minimum. Um, but I was fortunate enough to to be selected early on in my career and start taking these classes like pretty much right away within my, I want to say within my second year, I was already taking some some of these classes that were being run. Uh, late first at the time is where we were running those classes. Um, and I and I fell in love with all the special operations um hmm. Facets. I mean, you know, rope rescue, rope work, confined space, collapse, so on and so forth. And it was something that that I gravitated towards, um, you know. And it's, it, you know, my wife always says, ever since I've left the Marines, I've been looking for the the next big adventure. Or, you know, she goes, "You're not happy unless you're hanging off the side of a building somewhere or, or doing something like that." Um, and that's that's sort of, you know, and and that's that's what I what I've been like leaning towards um, for a majority of my my career. And as a battalion chief. Uh, when I got promoted to battalion chief, I was I was asked to uh, take over the sock unit. Right. Are we still on? Because I don't see your video. We're here. Don't worry about it. The the okay. program's right. buffering. Okay. The program it. buffers, so it's saving as it goes, and so you'll see. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. Okay. No worries. Right. I Mike, see you. All right. All nope, right. You're cool. good. You're good. No worries. Yeah. So when I was promoted to battalion chief, um, at the time the uh, the the sock chief was uh, Anthony Venezia, who was a deputy. Um, and they approached me and, and they called me into the chief's office and, and they said that they felt that I would be a good fit um, between him and uh, Chief Montaigne. Uh, they felt that that it would be a good fit for me uh, to take over as a staff chief. And 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 I and I agreed and I and I was excited for the opportunity. Um, traditionally, that's been a position that's that's been a an administrative position. Uh, a, right. a that works out of headquarters five days a week and that sort of thing. Um, and one of the, the my caveats was. Listen, I'll take over as a SOC chief, but I want to continue doing this even when I go on the line. I mean, I had no no dreams and aspirations of being a, uh, a administrative chief. I mean, it, there's a lot to learn, and there's a, you know you definitely obtain or attain a newfound respect for the job when you do some administrative work, you know, some behind the scenes things. But I knew that my position was out on the line with with the guys, right? Um, I've always been a hands-on type person. So uh, they agreed, and they said, "Yeah, you know, you know, you go on the line, you continue as the special operations chief as long as you don't mind doing the extra work." Um, and not only do I not mind, but but I I relish in it, I love it. And so, yeah, you know, once I got promoted to deputy chief, I just you know continued doing it, and and I, that's something I don't see um, giving up any anytime soon. It's a it's a prestigious position, right? J- truly, you know, a lot of times in in uh, more urban areas, so, you know, SOC divisions or, or you know the special operations command, the rescue company, squad companies, and all the disciplines that come with that, they typically find 
the more dynamic people to fit those roles because it is quite a task to, you know, be good and efficient at all those different disciplines, right? So there's something to be said for when you become the leader. We've been talking about leadership. When you become the, the deputy chief of the SOC division, it's quite a prestigious spot because you you get to do so very much and work with some unbelievably dynamic people. So I have to think it's very very rewarding for you. It is, and and not just within North Hudson because what so within mm-hmm. North Hudson, what's what's what I love about it is is the the young firefighter that comes up to me says, "People, I want to get on one of the SOC units. You know, I want to go take structural collapse. I want to do this. I want to do that. I'm, I want to be involved." And they know that that it's extra work and members in the SOC unit train more than any, everyone else and they don't get paid more money. It's not like there's a financial incentive. It's because guys want to be best. They want to be part of the elite. And I truly believe that the SOC unit in North Hudson is, is definitely one of the best. Um, and, and, you know, because of the, the caliber of, I don't want to say recruit, but candidate, right, that you get. Um, that we get um, that, that want to be part of the SOC unit. And the, the fact that we're part of this Metro USAR, you know, right. strike team under the UASI umbrella, um, and, and we work closely together with all the other cities that are part of, uh, you know, the, the UASI Metro Urban Strike Team. And by the way, um, we've been extremely busy, you know, this, this past year. Oh, yeah. uh, I, I believe we've had probably 35 uh, different uh, UASI responses. Some of them are on a smaller scale, partial responses, and some of them are full scale responses. You know, such as the the, the Newark incident and um, the recent, more recent building collapse that we had in, in East Rutherford, uh, where a yeah. construction worker was uh, was rescued. I mean, we we've been busy, but what's what's rewarding for me is, in addition to being uh, a SOC chief, I sit on the UASI's Metro USAR Strike Team Committee um, and Incident Command Staff. Um, and so we kind of organize the training. Uh, we make sure that uh, we, we have annual drills and we decide what uh, exercises or, or what scenarios we're going to we're going to have as part of the drill, what things we need to work on, what 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 are the areas that we want to test the capabilities of um, of all these different cities. Um, and we get we've gotten to see over the years and, and I, I've been you know, on, on the strike team committee since, since I was, uh, since I was a battalion chief and, you know, we've seen leaps and bounds. These, these members just kind of stop and, and the yeah. level of training that, that we've been able to provide them with different contractors that, that we provide during the training sessions. Um, no, they, they're all in and, and they're super proud of what they do. Um, they're an excellent group and, and I would put them up against any, um, you know, any USAR team in, in the country. I mean, they, they've yeah, really I... done a great job. Just to break it down a little bit for people that aren't familiar, and Chief, feel free to jump in if I get any of this wrong, but um, we have our Urban Search and Rescue Team, which is which is Task Force, New Jersey Task Force 1, which is made up of individuals and different groups that are deployed throughout the world. But then locally at home, we have the UASI, which is that uh, New York Metro Strike Team, the, the urban initiative, where each county has a technical rescue and equipment and trained people as well as individual cities on larger cities have their own as well. And so if there's a regional response, a building collapse, a trench, confined space, something like that, they are the ones that local UASI team 
will get dispatched first, and then if they need to escalate it, then they can bring in more of the team or the entire task force into the scene. So there's a lot of moving parts, but I have to think, though, with all the global response and focus we've had on hurricanes and natural disasters and the way we mobilize and so on, it was only inevitable, and especially after September 11th, which impacted us greatly, and you know that. I mean, we had a front-row seat to everything that was happening and, and all became involved. Especially after September 11th, the USAR and UASI programs exploded, and the, the need for technical and specialized training was at, uh, was at a paramount. It was, it was at the forefront of what we need to do. And I think what's really interesting is with the area that we're from, Chief, and I'd love some of your feedback on this, we're fortunate that we have so many resources at our fingertips and available to us, and that also includes funding. So we have the ability to really build out these teams and educate our people and give our people every tool they need to perform such tasks, right? Absolutely. We're, we're, we're definitely fortunate to be resource rich um, in this yeah. area because of funding. Um, and what's great is, is that it's allowed um, all these northern New Jersey counties to be able to develop these technical rescue teams have, you know, 11, 12, 13 pieces of technical rescue or, or heavy rescue apparatus that are outfitted almost exactly the same. Same yeah. equipment on every piece of apparatus. Um, in addition to that, we have uh, North Hudson has a, a shoring unit in addition to right. the technical rescue truck. Um, so you have some departments that also have a shoring unit that would respond. I mean, we could build a house with the amount of equipment um, that's on this on this piece of apparatus. Um, I believe it. I've seen Hackensack, so I know exactly yeah. what's in there. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So they're outfitted the same. And so we're, we're outfitted the same. The level of training is the same. Um, when we run our annual drills, um, you always have the same groups, the same shifts that are training together. So we organize it so that when we schedule these trainings, you have the same groups and the same shifts that are training together. So that when you respond on a real call, on a real incident, you have familiar faces. Because in addition to the training and, and, and you know, making sure that you have the proper equipment and it's being maintained, developing those relationships, interagency relationships is, is huge as power. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we're, we're definitely super uh, uh, fortunate to be able to have that. And what we started doing was we actually started um, making a lot of our training uh, into train to trainer so yeah. that we can become self-sufficient and take that, whether it's high angle rope rescue or pine space or trench, we can take that and go back to our agencies and train our own personnel because we have members that are trained to trainer. Um, so it's commitment that's to being all in on it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 What is it about what is it about sock that really makes you tick? Like there are certain guys, like I love being a fireman. Mm -hmm. The other stuff, yeah, it's cool. But like it's not my thing. Like I don't need to scale off a building. I've done it. Don't need to do it. You know, I don't it's not for me. So what is it for you? Is it just the additional challenge, the you know, the, uh, I don't know. I, what, what is it? I always ask guys that, that are into all these different technical skills and, and so on. What is it? What is it about that? Just that's that personal challenge? Yeah. You know what? That's such a great freaking question. <laughs> it's such a great question. Let's think about that. No, but it's, it's funny because I've never thought about why it's always, yeah. just, it just is. I never thought about why do I like this so much? It's something that I Cause just, you got, you got guys that are just, for. 
They just want to be a backstep fireman for 20 years, but they want to be the best. They want to be the best barman. They want to be the best nozzle man, and that's what they dedicate their career to, right? Yeah. And then there's other guys that are like, garbage man. If you beat the best garbage, whatever it is, beat one hundred. We need every single position, and we need the very best at every position we have. I just love asking these guys that have this like crazy death wish to jump off buildings and go underground, and you know, climb through underground tubes and all this crazy crap that you guys do. What is it? But that's, the beauty of, that's the beauty of being a chief officer now. I don't have to go into the tunnel. <laughs> you know, but that being said, I, I've never wanted to hold a position that I was responsible. If I have to, if I have to tell someone to do something, if I have to give an right. order on the fire ground, whether it's sure. on the fire ground, whether it's at a technical mm-hmm. rescue incident, I want to know that I've done it. If I if I need them to breach that concrete, I want to know I've done it. If I want guys to get on the roof and cut a hole in the roof, I want to know that I've done it. That's why it's always been important for me, you know, not just in SOP, but as as a firefighter moving up the ranks, it, it was important for me to hold every position, work on the an, an engine, work on the busiest engine, work on a squad, work on a rescue, work on a truck, and then be a captain in those positions as well before I move into the position of chief officer so that when I give an order and I say, look, this is what we need, the guys turn around and they know that the order's coming from me and I've been there and I've done that. You know, so like that the guys is... that are go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, finish so, your thought. So the please. guys so the guys that are doing special operations that, that are going into confined space, I've they know I've been there. You know, and so so I, I've done that and it was maybe it's an adrenaline rush. Uh, maybe it's it's doing something that's different, um, where you have the, these high risk, low frequency types of events that requires you to be on your freaking game. You know, like yeah. In in the fire service, we you know I have guys all the time, especially during the warm months. If we get a report of smoke, report of fire, or even alarm activation, I want guys hitting the hydrant. I want guys setting up the outriggers. I want I want the aerial up to the roof because you know in North Hudson it's hard for us because it's so congested. We have to use every opportunity that we can to train. So if sure. at that moment we we have the street and it's closed down and the police officers have the street closed, let's train. Let's put the aerial up. Let's do this and that. So. So, you know, for me, that, that, that's extremely, extremely important. But want, it's important for me to, for the guys to understand that I've been there and I've done that. That is where experience matters as a, as a boss, as a chief, as somebody that is in charge of other people or, or designing and putting together the playbook. We need people that have that experience. And experience comes in a lot of different forms, obviously, right? But we want... The, the best experience you can have is doing the actual situation in which people are being asked to do, right, to be put in. But there's other ways, too, where, you know, people aren't – because this is the thing with all the tech rescue stuff, right? It's not every – you said high-risk, low-frequency, of course. How many times are you picking off, a, you know, a guy from a scaffolding or, or a building collapse or a trench? You might have one in your career of 25 years, right? That, that, that could be the case where we're – fortunate enough in north hudson where we have so much going on especially on the waterfront where we have you know new buildings going up we have construction workers we have um you know we have 495 we have the helix the holland tunnel we have so much going on that even though it is low frequency we get it right and it happens but it's nowhere near not the same level of experience like you said as going to fires so you have to be that much more on your game and that's why, as as a as a committee member, I'm, I'm extremely proud of the work that we've done uh, with the UASI Metro Urban Strike Team to make sure that, you know, we're, we're training our members, 
um, making sure that that we're uh, stepping up the level of training that we're doing. Frank Bellina in Newark, uh, he's a mastermind of setting up like the special operations playground for us. Um, and every yeah. time that we run a drill, it becomes more and more complex. Um, even cool. now, we've kind of we've done some stuff with active shooter, and that's something that we have in North Hudson, as, and, and it's under the uh, special operations umbrella where we have a rescue task force team. Um, we have the equipment, the ballistic gear, um, and as the law enforcement liaison, I work closely with uh, the, the police departments in North Hudson, which we have five different police departments, uh, to make sure that we, we train together in addition to the SWAT team, uh, making sure that we train together on active shooter response. So, so again, these are things that don't happen all the time and I hope never, that's one thing I hope to never have to go to. Um, but if it happens, we're prepared, right? And we train this is, so much on this it. Is, this is that big part of the conversation, right, is that there's account, there has to be a tremendous amount of accountability. And, and accountability came up earlier in our conversation when we talked about being a young boss and following through on what you need to do to prove yourself and all that. you got to hold yourself accountable. But that's, this is where the people that are involved with, with disciplines like this, there's a tremendous amount of accountability that has to go into it, right? Listen, firemen, like, Firemen, I go to fires. Like I've stretched the line a hundred times. Like I've forced doors, and obviously every fire is not the same. Like I, there's going to be people. Oh, this and that. I'm not simplifying it. But what I am saying though is, in my downtime, I don't need to be tying 15 different knots and doing hasty harness pickoffs and all this crazy stuff because I I don't need to do that. Right. So this is where accountability really comes in for those individuals, which I think goes to what I asked you: is what fuels you. I bet you that's a big part of it. I bet you it's staying busy, holding yourself accountable, and being good at anything you put your mind to. You hold yourself accountable for it. I love that. I think. I think even more importantly, uh, you know, now that you mentioned that, I think what fueled me when it comes to this is knowing that my guys are good at that. Right. So knowing go. that that we've kind of set the stage where I don't. I'm not on duty today. I got off duty this morning. If something happens today and there's a high angle rescue, these guys are going to get the job done. I don't need to be there, right? They're going to get it done uh, because of the groundwork that that we laid, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's uh, that's extremely important. And us as incident commanders, right? Whether you're a battalion chief, uh, deputy chief of department, whatever the case is, you're you're ultimately responsible for the level of preparation that your department or your your men and women uh, on the fly ground. You're you're responsible. It's 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 on you. It's on your shoulders. Um, and, and so for me, it's important to make sure that we train for any possible uh, incident that we may encounter, uh, come up with different con contingency plans, um, even critique our own trainings. Like a lot of times we, so at, at every fire, after every fire or after every incident, we hold a, a formalized fire critique. Uh, but even during training sessions uh, and drills that we run, we, we critique it again, you know, and over and over again. And, and I always critique myself as, as an incident commander first, because at the end of the day, I know that the firefighters are going to get the job done. We tell them to right. run through a brick wall. They're going to do it. Right? Whatever we tell them to do, they're going to do it because they trust in us. They trust in, in, in the process, and, and they know that, um, that, that we're going to keep them safe, or at least they hope that, that we are, right? We should. Um, but, you know, it, it, it really comes down to us using sound uh, tactics and principles, uh, accountability, uh, you know, making sure that, that we're keeping our, our, our guys safe. Uh, making sure that that we're not, um, you know, losing track of of what the incident priorities are. If we, you know, it, it could be a type of fire or an incident or a structure that we've never operated in, right? It doesn't matter. 
accountability is accountability. Making sure you have a rig team in place, making sure you have accountability, making sure you, your guys are not freelancing, making sure that as an incident commander, you're taking a look at, you know, all the cues and, and, and visual clues that you need to take a look at from the exterior of the building. Having that communication with the guys that are operating inside, decentralizing the fire ground. Right? These are things that, that are basics and should be applied to any type of incident, whether it's a stock incident, whether it's a hazmat call, whether it's a uh, mass shooting, or whether it's a, it's a basic structure fire. Right? It, it, all, it all applies. And it's on us as the leaders and incident commanders to make sure that our members are operating safely. And when I say safely, I don't mean that we're not taking risks, right? because in my opinion, it's, they come first. Right. And it was something I asked the recruits um, and I asked this all the time. Who comes first? Is it the civilians or us? Sometimes they, they want to give you this PR response. They think they're saying the right thing by saying uh, we come first. But in, in my opinion, it's, it's them. That's why we do what we do. We don't become firemen so we can wear cool T-shirts and put stickers on our cars. Right. We become firemen so that we can protect the public. And you know what? It doesn't mean we're not going to it's not a calculated risk and, and you're not using that risk versus reward. But you are taking risks. And, and that's why we we do what we do. Well said. I'm just sitting. I was just sitting here, just nodding, smiling. <laughs> I mean, this is why you're a chief. I get it. No, that was really well said, chief. And I, I agree with you 100% across the board. And I, I just want to circle back before I, before we transition, because I want to talk about promotional prep. I want to talk about all of that as well. But one thing you said, you keep putting your people forward, um, and that to me is is really important in conversation. Um, for you, though, incredibly rewarding. When you said, like, hey, they might have a job today and I'm not working today and I, I have the, the utmost trust that the companies that are working today will be able to handle and mitigate the issue, you know, whatever the response is and whatever needs to be done, that has to be incredibly rewarding for you. It is. If we get something uh, that's a special operations type, type of call, uh, my dispatchers call me. Uh, they have my cell phone. It's on the, uh, the CAD. They know to call me. They notify me. They tell me what's going on. Uh, if it's right. something that, that that's involving uh, law enforcement, I have my law enforcement counterparts that I can call and say, hey, what's going on? What do you have? What information? Sure. But sure. other than that, I'm I'm not hands on. I don't need to go. Right? I, need, I don't need to. I, I live down in Oak I'm not driving up to North Hudson. And plus, I don't have a city vehicle. They don't provide me with a city car. And you know what? I might be able to work that out. But then I have to work Monday to Friday. And this ain't <laughs> happening. That's, so, that's right. So I, I'm good where I'm at. But th there are times where where, you know that I will respond. And, and I'm fortunate enough where uh, uh, Chief Woods, uh, Deputy Chief Woods from Patterson, uh, who's on the UASA sure. committee with me, he lives around mm -hmm. the corner from my house. We actually drove into the, to the, uh, to the Newark incident together. He has a city. Got vehicle. it. So uh, he may or may not have driven me for anyone that's listening. I, that's I can't confirm or deny. Um, that's but, right. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have to worry about that. The guys, if I'm off on vacation or whatever the case is, they're going to get the job done. I have, in fact, I almost hope that something happens on my shift. Not that I feel like my guys are more trained than anyone else, but no, I feel like my there. guys are more trained than everyone else. So, <laughs> so I mean, listen, I mean, me, me having my own shift and I'm the sock commander, right? I'm not going to go above and beyond and make sure that my guys are, you know, when I first took over as, as a, uh, as a uh, tour commander, um, you know, I decided to, um, to work on the culture of, of my shift of my tour. Right. Um, and I did a quick, small little culture and, and leadership class for, for, for the guys um, as a presentation. And, and I told them, I said, listen, I, I want to start off by creating a, a culture here um, on this shift, right? I, we're not going to be a shift anymore. We're not a platoon. We're the third division um, and we're the tip of the spear. And so I created a logo for us and all that kind of stuff. And it, and it, it was great because it kind of grew 
and guys were saying, oh, yeah, we're just a tip, you know, making references to just a tip, right? And so, and, and but it was great because it, it, it spread like wildfire. Uh, guys yeah. were saying it, guys were using it, and now we kind of developed our own. In fact, uh, one of the other deputy chiefs was working for me the other day, um, and uh, every time he picked up the phone, he said, tip of the spear, right, tip of the spear. So every t- <laughs> so it, but it's, it's excellent, and some guys have fun with it, but the fact of the matter yeah. is, is that we have an identity. Right. And yeah. it's, it's a culture thing. Right? Who we are, how we do it, what 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 That's are right. the expectations? And then so everyone could live up to that and then move past that as well and, and raise the bar. You know, but I love it. Yeah, man, it's great, man. I, I freaking love my job, man. And and for for being somebody I think about that all the time, I'm so grateful, especially for the fact that I, I almost didn't even go down this route. You know, you're almost a cop, bro. I was almost a cop, man. Almost, almost, a, almost cop. a cop. Man. And if you look at it now, like <laughs> I love our. I, I have so many friends that went the police route. I was a criminal justice major myself in in college, um, and I had tested for a bunch of police jobs too. And uh, you know, you just everyone, every one of them I talk to today, they are beaten, they are worn it's out. Job. It's a tough job. It is. It's gotten it is harder tough. and it harder. It, it it has, and and it's unfortunate with the political climate and all that kind of stuff. And obviously, oh, we're going to get into that kind of. No, right. <laughs> but it is it is it is extremely difficult, and I have very 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 good friends of mine uh, in the law enforcement field, and and because yeah. of my position as the law enforcement liaison for the department, sure. I work closely with sure. these guys. And it's tough, man. Yeah. They they have a very tough job. Um, but uh, but yeah, so we, you know we 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 go above and beyond uh, to make sure that we work closely together um, at every single incident. Um, there was a class that I actually put together, um, uh, safe uh, law enforcement operations on the fire ground. Um, and uh, it's not something I invented. It's out there, um, but I kind of tailor-made it to, uh, to what we do in North Hudson, and, and I've been able to deliver it to most of the police departments that we work with uh, because, you know, we, there's a lot of new cops, a lot of young cops. They're aggressive. They want to do the right thing, but they don't realize what sure. the right thing is. Um, in addition to, you know, positioning their squad cars, you know, um, a lot of these guys want to run in and do the right thing, and they think that the right thing is being aggressive and going in there and trying to make a grab. But that's not the right thing. Um, and look, I tell them, I said, you, you good intentions. It's not like, you know, but they, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And so. Orientation's important for the fire ground, for police, Absolutely. hands yeah. down. You know, yeah. you, you know I, I've been to fire grounds where they're breaking plate glass window on a commercial building before we sure. had a line stretched. Right. What are you doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, they hopped up in the moment. That's they it. think it's the right thing to do. Right. So it's yeah, I agree. Right thing. They want that's to do right. the right thing. That's right. They want to do it. They, we all do. We, we all, all do. do. You, just, you don't know what you don't know sometimes. That's correct. So speaking of not knowing what you don't know, <clears throat> educate me about the promotional process. So how did you get mixed up with Chief Turpak and uh, and so on? How did how did this Chief all Montaigne. come to be? Yeah, I, I, yeah I Montaigne. Stepped, yeah, Chief Montaigne. Yeah. I stepped in shit, really. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, they, I, so they had my their eye on me because I, I've done well. You know, through the promotional process. Um, you were and, that young buck, man. You know, I, I, I moved up pretty quick. And, um, and so they, they reached out to me one day around, I think it was 2018, they were running a class. Um, I was a battalion chief. And, um, and they said, why don't you come uh, do a class with us and, you know, see what you got, right? So I said, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Right? You don't have to twist my arm. So what I did was I wrote up a couple scenarios. Um, I wrote up uh, some multiple choice type and, and oral case scenarios um, based off of their format, but I did my own thing and I submitted it to them. And that was almost like my resume. 
um, where yeah. I said, here, here's what I have. Here's my portfolio, right? Right. Um, they looked at it. They liked it. Um, and so they invited me to one of their company officer classes. Um, and I sat in and, and I was kind of just observing and absorbing. Um, and it was at the time it was Kerpak, uh, uh, Montaigne, and uh, Jimmy Drennan uh, from Jersey City. Mm. Um, and Jimmy Drennan was was kind of like on his way out. Um, he retired and he was kind of pulling back a little bit. And, and so they, they were going to be looking for a third guy. Um, and uh, so it was like perfect opportunity for me. And, and you know, I sat with them and, and ran a class and they, they liked what I had to offer. Um, and, and, and we continued working together. And then right around COVID um, was, I think, was the turning point between me just being an adjunct professor or instructor with them to actually being a, a permanent fixture uh, with promotional prep. Um, during COVID, everyone was going to remote learning. And, yeah. um, you know, we still have promotional tests that were coming up and um, there was no way for us to actually run a class and be face to face and run an actual live class. So, you know, I was watching my kids, you know, doing their remote learning at home. And I said, you know what? I came up with a proposal and did a whole PowerPoint. I called them up and I said, listen, I have an idea. Right. Let me know what you think. Let's meet. Let's meet through Zoom. And I'm going to pitch my idea. You guys let me know what you think. So I came up with this whole program, this webinar at home on demand, company officer, written and oral program that we can uh, market to students that were getting ready to take their promotional exam, but didn't have a way of sitting down with an actual uh, tutor and instructor. Yeah, right. We could do a, a webinar through Zoom, right? And, and, and I was learning the whole process because I didn't know much about Zoom at the time, right? So, I, you know, through Zoom, we can do a pre-recorded webinar. We can have PDFs student handouts attached to it, and we can develop a package uh, to run the students through our in-person type program, but an right. on-demand online version that's theirs to keep, and they can have it, you know, at their disposal. And so they, they loved it. And so we went with it, and I pretty much built the program, and that eventually won me a seat as, as an actual partner um with with promotional prep uh, we we met for for christmas and we had um you know we took our, our wives out uh, for dinner i i believe it was uh 2022 um and then they offered me a, a partnership man and i i was you know it's fantastic they made me an offer so i not refuse <laughs> yeah right so promotional prep so just give me the background of it so it is a company of of consulting educating and working with people looking to promote up the job now in New Jersey, right? So it's civil service. So there's set tests that guys take for different positions, right? So you right. guys are doing all the test prep and working with your, your, your prospects, your students, and, and getting them the tutoring they need to do or hopefully score well on these tests, right? And not, not just promotion, but the entry level exam. So oh, you know, okay. Anyone, yeah, okay. anyone looking to take the, take the test that is fortunate enough to live um, and that's part of like for anyone that doesn't know, you have to it, it's it's such a competitive job because in addition to everyone wanting to be a firefighter, if you don't live in a uh, in a jurisdiction in a city or a town or a county yeah. where there's a career fire department that hires off of that list, then your chances are you're not getting hired. You're not getting hired. You know, and especially no. after um nine eleven when uh, when military veterans were coming home and, and taking these civil service exams. Right after that, they they go right. Veterans go right to the top of the list as long as they pass the test. They go right to the top of the list. So, so in my class alone, um, and and after the, the group that we've hired, I mean, we I want to say close to two thirds of our whole workforce is all military veteran. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, we teach civilians that want to become firefighters how to take um, the entry level exam. And then, of course, we okay. teach firefighters for different ranks, uh, level one uh, company also for the departments that have uh, lieutenants and level two for the departments that don't have lieutenants and have captains, uh, battalion chief, deputy chief, and chief of department. Um, and, and each one of these ranks has a whole different structure as far as, you know, how what what's involved in the test. Um, the civil service yeah. comes out with an orientation guide, gives you a reading list, tells you, you know, gives you an idea of, of what's of, of, of what type of format they're using for the test. Uh, but there there really is a science behind it, because, you know, even understanding how to read the textbooks. Right. And when I say how to read, you know, somebody say, well, I know how to read. You don't need to teach me how to read. It's not that it's it's how to read as if you were developing a test yourself, because you, yeah. you have to think like the like the test developers are thinking. Um, and, you know, so that you're not wasting your time. I was never one to be able to sit through a book and read chapters one through 20. Right. I had to kind of take a look at that book, look at a chapter, dissect it, write my own cliff notes version of that chapter and then save it. So that what I did was I developed, I implemented my different learning styles. I'm reading, um, I'm repeating it, I'm writing it down. I would even record it and listen to myself, you know, read my Cliff Notes version. So now you're 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 using all these different learning styles to be able to yeah, right. get this information to sink in. So, um, but yeah, we we you know, and and the fact that you know Chief Turpak and and we've we've developed uh, as promotional prep, we've worked with other. Uh, uh, Cities um, outside of New Jersey to develop, help develop their um, their promotional testing. So we have a, an inside view of of how these um, test assessors are are thinking now and developing these tests. So it it is it is something that that I think um, based off of the successes that um, firefighters and officers have had with their promotions, they they call us back and they're like, you know, I think that most. I can't I, I don't even know what number it is, but when we had our entry level exam, I couldn't tell you how many kids were in this class that were sons and daughters of current firefighters and fire officers. And then we that had the same volumes. Yeah, yeah. And we had the same thing with, with our promotional exams. They they're sending us their kids, you know. I had my son sitting in on on, on our uh, entry level exam. You know, he's in college right now, but he was sitting through that class. Um, and, and um, you know, we have a very, very high success rate of, you know, being able to get these uh, guys into a position where they're doing well enough where, where, where they can get promoted. I mean, there, there is a science behind wow. it. This is – it's such a competitive market here. Like, people don't – when I tell people what the process is to get hired, it's a job to, it's a job to get your job. You have to physically uproot and move to the community mm -hmm. that you want to work in. You have to physically live there. Right. Change your lifestyle, bills, license, everything has to be in that address. Like you can't just take, it's a statewide test, but every municipality pulls their list from the state test. So you have to pick a department that you want to work for and then go move there and crush every step of the process. Because if you don't, you're not getting hired. Yeah. And you have to build that residency prior Oh, 100 percent, because they're going to go back and see how long did you just move in just to take the test. And, you know, and then you have to stay there. If you're lucky enough to get on the job, depending on your municipality, you'll have to stay for your neighbors need to know you. People need to see your car there. They want to know that you're coming and going like they send investigators out like this is no BS. No, like it no. is hard to get hired in the state of New Jersey and you have to comply to the rules. And when Absolutely. you try to circumvent the rules, yeah. You're going to get gigged. I know so many guys that have gotten gigged because yeah, they just it, wouldn't it, commit to the process. And especially if they're looking to hire a certain number, 
and they need to eliminate yeah. one or two guys to get to that person, right? Politically, See ya. right? And then right. if you're if you have the slightest inconsistency in your application, you're out. You're done. You know, it's yeah. that it's super competitive. I mean, yeah. we've even I had think, we've, think... we've even had candidates that legitimately legitimately lived in that city were right. kicked off because there was an inconsistency and then I had to go back and sue to get the job. And it's that competitive. Oh yeah, hundred percent. And then I know some of the packets and the the hurdles that guys have to go through. It's a test within a test, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing too, though, um, is that uh, what you call it? I wanted. Oh, I just lost my train of thought, Chief. I had this other point I wanted to make, and I just totally spaced it. Well, good. Oh, well. I do have something to so, add. Yeah, I go. Do have something to add? Yeah, um, go please. So when I took my entry level exam way back when, the the physical fitness portion of the exam was mm. it's still timed event. But right now it's pass fail where when I took my test, it wasn't pass fail. It was a timed event and how well you do and how quick you move through the obstacles determines right. where where your rank is within that list. Um, and I think that I don't know why they, they moved away from that, um, but I think that that's done a, a bit of a disservice, in my opinion, um, in the fire service, because we're, we're seeing recruits that. Um, did not physically prepare, in my opinion, right. hard enough um, to to obtain this job because it is a physical job, you know. I and, also think part of the problem is too is some of these career departments have zero fitness program in their probate class. You're right, and and unfortunately, I hate to to admit it, but my department is one of those, you know. And and so you know what we try to do is we try to send um, our recruits to a fire academy that has you know, yeah. a, a PT program, right? Where that's right. going to kind of weed out uh, those firefighters that, that aren't physically fit or capable. But sometimes depending on what departments are running, what classes at the time, or not what departments, what um, academies are running, how many classes and how many students they have at the time, it, it just may not be feasible. And you you're, you kind of get stuck sending your recruits wherever you can get them sent yeah. to so that manpower-wise you can get them back on the line. And, and, and you know, so... It's it's one of those things, but I I if I had my way, um, I, I it would be a requirement just as if it was in the Marine Corps where we had a, every year you had your annual fitness test, you had to pass this annual fitness test, and if you didn't, then there were consequences. Um, you know, yeah. I I I I wish that, um, you know, we can move to a place where that is a requirement within the state. Um, you know, maybe start off with something where it becomes uh, a volunteer basis kind of program. Um. Unless you hire new firefighters, then it becomes mandatory, and then eventually it'll just be mandatory for everyone. So you kind of phase it in. Um, that would yeah. be great to see something like that. And I think just to piggyback on what where we were what we were talking about, right? The promotion. I I remember where I wanted to go with this, right? It's prep. It's preparation, right? You you and and your team are allowing for growth and education, knowledge and experience through preparation so that when they're asked to take that test, they have every tool in their arsenal to attack it and do well. It's the same with sports now. Every kid that plays sports is getting trained, tutored. They're going for extra pitching help. They're, they're doing strength and conditioning. Parents are giving their kids every tool. I know they are in my area. Every, every high school athlete, every eighth grade middle school athlete is seeking extra outside of just what their team does it's extra training it's physical fitness it's it's agility it's speed it's all those things well if you're going to do it for a sport why don't you do it for your career right it just makes sense yeah that's why when we run our our prep programs 
Uh, we 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 go above and beyond to teach these firefighters that are taking their promotional exam. We're not giving you the magic formula. We're not telling you. We're not giving right. you the script and saying memorize. We're not giving you the cheat code. No, no, yeah, right. We're not telling you to memorize this. We're telling you. We're teaching you about building construction. We're teaching right. you about fire behavior. We're teaching you about making decisions on the fire ground and why what's in the books is actually relevant in real life. I mean, there's certain things in the touch world. There's like a touch world and there's a real world, right? Um, and sometimes the, the things are not kind of don't vibe because we do things just a little bit differently on 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 the line or in the real world. But the things that we teach in our classes, we have students coming up to us like, man, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize, I didn't understand the way that um, that that the fire, uh, you know, fire service elevators are supposed to operate. You know, I didn't understand that this is the reason why, you know, you don't want to use this stairwell for, for fire attack and you want to use the other stairwell for evacuation. I didn't, re I didn't understand, you know, the, the indicators of backdraft. I think sure. I can operate a little bit sure. more safe, you know, so it's not just, you know, here's a script and go memorize it, right? I can do that for free. I can give somebody for free a script and say, hey, go memorize this and this is what's going to help you on a test. It's not because you never know what they're going to give you on a test. You have to know the information. And just like on the job, it's you're not it's not a job of memorization. We have to know what the hell we're doing. We're not memorizing. Yes. Right? We have to know what the <laughs> hell we're doing. And when it comes to building construction, when it comes to fire behavior, where, where is fire and smoke going to spread throughout the structure? How is this building going to collapse, right? What are my concerns regarding this construction type? These are things that you have to physically know. You have to know these things. Uh, so we, 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 that's why we kind of started moving and, 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 and conducting fire tactics courses as well, in addition to the fire promotional stuff, uh, which we actually started doing. We, we ran a program for Nutley Fire Department um, for their fire officers. Um, and, and we took what we have with promotional prep, but we made it very specific to their jurisdiction, the way that yeah, they respond, cool. their manpower, uh, sure. we their buildings, right? I, I got mm -hmm. obtained a list of, of, of some of their target hazards and, and different buildings that they have in Nutley. And we put it up on a slide, just like we were doing a promotional uh, prep kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, um, going into tactics that they would use in Nutley. Right. Because in the promotional exam, they're telling you that you have, you know, two engines, a ladder. This is the right. response that you're having. Right. right. But in, in your specific department, you may just have one engine and one ladder. You might have five guys split between those companies. Your rig team is probably going to be a mutual aid company. Your, your third engine is probably going to be a, a mutual aid engine. Right. You may not have a, a ladder company available because everybody jumped on the engine. Right. So these are things that we, we started kind of making it tailor specific towards that, you know, that particular uh, department. So. Education is so, so huge in the fire service, so huge. Mm -hmm. You know, anybody tells you that they're an expert in anything is full of shit because we're, 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 this is like we're practitioners, right? We're something that we're constantly learning because the, it, it's evolving. It's evolving. It's constantly changing and evolving. We got to stay with, stay up with those, uh, with those changes. And that's coming from the deputy chief of SOC from that's North right. Hudson Regional. So <laughs> think about that, right? It, it goes a very long way. Um, chief, what a great conversation today, man. It was awesome. Yeah, it was a lot yeah, of fun. I had a lot of fun. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you. What's uh, what's next for you? Anything on the horizon? Anything exciting? I mean, I, now that uh, COVID is is way behind us now, I'm sure you guys are out and about teaching and, and bringing on a lot of classes and so on. Um, but for your career, anything that you want to do, get to anything, uh, anything important to you that we didn't hit on? I just want to make sure we capture everything you wanted to hit on man but uh, I really enjoyed the conversation today. I think there's a lot of value in this for sure. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm just going to keep plugging along and keep doing what I'm doing. Um, Good. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of, you know, ideas. Guys have kind of floated some ideas. I should do this. I should do that. I feel like 
I'm busy enough as it is right now doing what I'm doing between, you know, sock <laughs> is like a full-time job, right? Um, yeah, it is. I, you know, I have a wife and kids. My, you know, my daughter, you, you talked about sports. Uh, she's a, she plays very, very high level soccer. Um, and, and there's no off days and it's, and it's all wow. year round. Uh, we, there's yep. a trainer that we go to in Pennsylvania. It's an hour and a half away. She goes once a week. There's another trainer in, in Fairfield that we go to once a week. That's, that's an hour away from us where I'm at now. So we're running around doing that. Right. And, and, and then I'm on my phone or, or we'll go to practice sure. and I sit on my laptop and I'm putting a class together. Um, you know, we, we have a, uh, a company officer class that we're running uh, next month. We have a company officer class because there's a, a upcoming promotional exam for uh, company officer level one and level two. And there's a deputy level deputy chief exam as well that we're preparing for. So we're, we're promotional prep is busy. Um, we have our private students that we're working that we work with as well. Um, we yeah. have, you know, we're, we're, we have to update our webinar program, but we're also working on our fire educational programs for fire departments. Um, and, uh, you know, whatever comes my way, um, I, I don't, I usually don't say no. I think I'm a glutton for punishment and I usually try to get involved in, 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 in as much as I can, uh, just because I have a love for the job. God, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah. Time. I don't know what time is anymore. My youngest, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to put it right here. My youngest turned 16 and she just joined the volunteer fire department. My daughter. Wow. wow. Third generation. She's the first third generation. Um, I'm so excited. Like last night I had her at the firehouse with me and Amazing. you know, they were outfitting her, getting her stuff. And like, I don't push it on my kids. I mean, my kids grew up in this and they know everything about the fire service, but I never saw any of them. I have four kids and she's my last one. And all of a sudden she was like, I want to do this. And I was like, okay. Like never forced it upon them. Didn't, you know, she's a, she's a sophomore in high school, but wants to join the junior program and hopefully we'll see where it goes from there. And so proud, mo proud Papa moment for me, imagine. for sure. I could so imagine. It was awesome. cool. It was very cool. Great. So I, you with, know, with the volunteer service, man, that, that I, I give a lot of respect, you know, you, there's a, a pride that that I wish, you know, would translate over to the career side. You know, I, not that not that on the career job there isn't a sense of pride. There is, um, but sometimes you see firefighters that are, um, you know, they they're there for a paycheck. You know, where yeah. I wish I, I could take some of the career guys, uh, some of the volunteer guys, and bring them over to the career side with me because they'd be more professional than some of our paid, you know, firefighters and. That's, I'm not talking about my job, my, my department. This is no, across, we, across the board on careers. We all got them. We all got them. Volunteer career, you can't, you know, the love for the job is the love for the job. And, uh, you know, you either have it or you don't. And if you don't, I hope you can find it. And if you can't find it, at least don't get in our way. Right. That's all. You're in the wrong place. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> Chief Al Pratt's. Thank you, Deputy Chief. I appreciate you for joining me today. What a great conversation, man. It was uh, really great getting to know you. Um, looking Likewise. forward to future dealings and uh, tell uh, Chief Tarpak and, uh, and so on that I said hello. Um, but uh, this was a lot of fun. So where can people find you, Chief, if they want to reach out an email or website, whatever? Just plug yourself, man. Go ahead. Yeah, man. They, they can reach out on Instagram at Promotional Prep. Uh, they if they reach out on Instagram, they'll get me directly. Um, they can go on to promotionalprep.com's website. Um, there's a, a link there where you can register for emails, um, updates, and all that kind of thing, and send us any questions um, that you have. Um, and and that would be probably the best way uh, to reach out to me. Uh, if anyone's ever in the North cool. Hudson area um, and it happens to be a, a third division day, uh, find me.
29th Street. Come on down. <laughs> I'll treat you to some Peruvian chicken. Yeah, Peruvian, Cuban, a little bit of everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Chief, thanks again. I appreciate All your right, time. Brother. Stay right Thank here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast. I'll come right back to you, okay? That's good. Everyone, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the American Fire Service. I get to talk to rock stars all the time. Chief, Deputy Chief Al Pratz out of the North Hudson Regional Fire and Rescue Department in New Jersey was was no exception. This guy crushed it today. So thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to the podcast. And do me a favor. Like I finish every podcast, take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse. Because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Fire Radio.